You're listening to the Queen City Church Sermon of the Week. For more information on this message and other resources, visit queencity.church. So good to be back. And um, for those of you who may not have known, Donna and I went on a seven-week sabbatical is the uh, one of the terms people use. And um, a number of you um, contributed to our ability to do that. And thank you so much for your generosity. We did want to express that. But we had a, we had a great time. We got a lot of rest. The strange thing was we decided too late to rent any um, places in the mountains or the beach because sort of the uh, COVID overload vacations kicked into gear. But um, a friend of mine gave me the use of his beach house for two weeks. Um, He did more than that. We got a FedEx. I just have to brag on this guy. I'm not going to tell you who he is. You may call him up and start hitting him up for stuff, but uh, (laughs) he's mine. (laughs) Um. A couple days before we left, uh, we got a FedEx, and he had sent us a $200 gift certificate to, he's eaten all over the world. He said one of the top five restaurants he's ever eaten at, in, on, with. So never end a sentence with the preposition. Now, that's the word preposition, but it's not a preposition, so... So, um, one, one of the issues that prompted our time off is I've got some back pain I'm dealing with and, uh, I'm going to have an MRI in a couple of weeks, probably a week from Monday. And I'm happy to see everybody. I really am. Talk to everybody. But if I'm sitting down when I'm talking to you, don't take it personally. It's just been hard to stand up. Okay. Everybody. But gosh, we love you guys. We're so, so glad to be back. And um, I did want to mention that um, really a good friend of a number of you, John Mark in particular, and I think all the musicians and Andy and Sarah, Larry Trans out of ICU. <clears throat> and he was one, the only one of 23 who made it out. Yeah, so that tells you an awful lot about what's going on with a lot of people now, or some people anyway. So thank God. And uh, let's pray for Larry. He um, needs help with his kidneys. He needs help with um, uh, a lot of things. So, Father, we do pray for Larry Tran this morning, even for those um, who may not know him. Um, He's Vietnamese, he's an amazing guitar player, and he's just a great soul, such a tremendous guy. So many people love him. So we pray, Lord, that you would continue this miraculous thing you're doing for him in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, um, I've got good news and bad news. The good news is I have 16 pages of notes. And the bad news is I have 16 pages of notes. (laughs) And I'm not going to get to to all of them. But 
one of the verses of scripture that really touched me on my sabbatical is um, Philemon verse 6. There's only one chapter, so it's Philemon verse 6. And Paul wrote this, I pray for you that the faith we share may effectively deepen your understanding of what? Of every good thing that belongs to you in Christ. So I want to talk to the things that belong to us. And it's a long conversation. It cannot be done this morning, but we can begin to look at it. And then over the weeks and months, or however long it takes, I think we can expand on the things that belong to us because of who Jesus is. Because there are things that belong to us. But things can belong to you and you don't know that they're yours. What are those things? Paul said our understanding needed to be deepened. And he also said that the deepening of that understanding comes through the faith that we share effectively with each other. And here's um, the truth of the matter. I have revelation of God you need. And you have insight and revelation from God I need. That's the way this really does work. Nobody's got the market cornered on everything there is wonderful about Jesus. And that's really my focus this morning is all the things that are wonderful about Jesus. So Paul made that point that our understanding deepens through a mutually shared faith. And we need to realize that's part of why we meet together. That's part of why we come together. um, And we should do it obviously much more than just on uh, a Sunday morning. Because there's a profound releasing of revelatory encouragement that can happen when two people who know the Lord and have insight share those things with each other. And it's really important to build one, one another up. And I want to read um, also out of the book of Colossians, chapter 2, verse 3. For our spiritual wealth is in him like hidden treasure waiting to be discovered. So what's our spiritual wealth like? Not just treasure, hidden treasure. What does that imply? You need to look for it. Our spiritual wealth is where? In him. Is it up there? Where is our spiritual wealth? In him. What's it like? Hidden treasure. What's it doing? Waiting to be discovered. Oh, what is it? Heaven's wisdom and endless riches of revelation knowledge. So our spiritual wealth is located in one specific place, which is not a place, but a person. A very specific person. A unique, one-of-a-kind person. Jesus Christ. Heaven's wisdom is there in him, in knowing him. Endless riches are there that comes to us. How? By God revealing to us who Jesus is and what he's done for us. 
and, and the implications of the gospel, the implications of the death, burial, resurrection, ascension, and outpouring of the Holy Ghost are profoundly expansive. And we need to understand what belongs to us. Well, in that same chapter of Colossians, Paul gives us a warning in verse 8. Beware that no one distracts you or intimidates you and their attempt to lead you away from Christ's fullness by pretending to be full of wisdom when they're filled with endless arguments of human logic. For they operate with humanistic and clouded judgments based on the mindset of this world system and not the anointed truths of the anointed one or of Christ. For he is the complete fullness of deity living in human form. And our own completeness is now found in him. New King James, you are complete in him. We are completely filled with God as, so it's a process, as Christ's fullness overflows within us. He is the head of every kingdom, every authority in the universe. Wow. In closing, I mean, that, that's amazing. That's amazing. Paul's understanding of the gospel begins to be unfolded here. And obviously in another a number of other places. But Paul boldly proclaims that we are complete in Jesus, in knowing him. But that completion has got to be actualized in our experience, and it can only be actualized in our experience as we know what it is about him that belongs to us. But it's been provided through his death, his burial, his resurrection. And by experiencing the power of the Holy Spirit, who is the one who releases to us all the experiential benefits of the gospel. Okay. Okay, okay. Thank you, Jesus. So there's a phrase that's called the finished work. And that makes reference to the accomplishments of the gospel, the accomplishments of the singular man who was also God, Christ Jesus. And as Jesus was dying on the cross, he said a number of things. I think he said eight different things. But the last thing Jesus said was, it is finished. It's in John 19 verse 30. Interesting enough, in the Aramaic, that word finished can also mean my bride. And I don't, I don't think we fully understand the significance of the desire Jesus has for a wife, for a bride. And that's what he's called us to be. Immorality is run rampant. Who wants to marry an immoral person? Come on. He wants a bride without spot, 
without blemish. He doesn't even want a wrinkle. Wrinkle. Without spot or blemish or any such thing, Paul writes in another place. So Jesus said, it is finished. And what he was meaning, as far as my understanding, was he had finished the work his father had given to do, given him to do, the work of redeeming back to the father all that had been lost through Adam's fall in the garden and the rebellion that was led by Satan. But the phrase it is finished, in the Greek anyway, means it is perfectly perfect or it is completely complete. Or it means to accomplish or to perform the last act which completes the process, to complete, to fulfill. And I believe this, and I've known the Lord many decades. Very few of us, me included, know experientially the fullness of all that Jesus did for us on the cross. We just read their endless riches. We just read there's revelation that could be transformational. But Jesus accomplished and provides for us what you could call a perfect salvation. And when something is finished, you can say that it is done. It's done. What does that mean to us? It means that everything God needed to do to bless us or to redeem us or everything that needed to happen for us to be restored has already been done. And, and if you would listen to everything I'd have to say, you would understand it was actually all completely done before Adam ever fell or anybody ever had a need. And I can show that to you, and then if I can get to it, I will. That's why almost every promise we have from God in the New Testament is written in the past tense. It's because it's done. Now, here's what I've done. <laughs> I guess I'm stuck on that word. I'm going to read um, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, uh, 10 or 12 verses because I want to completely inundate you. I want to overwhelm you. I want you to drown joyfully in the truth of what I'm saying because the Bible bears it out. And if we miss this, we miss something so significant that our lives um, won't bear the fruit God's wanting us to bear. And so every promise, let me read, um, and here's what I've done. Uh, I gave Vivian 25 copies of all these verses. So if you want these because I didn't put them up here. Um, I just want you to listen. But if you want those verses, you can listen to this again or you can get, get something there from Vivian. Crucified, the first one. I have been crucified with Christ, past tense. It is no longer I who live, but Christ in, lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Crucified. You're dead. I heard a friend once say, God didn't want to improve us. He wanted to allow us to be crucified so that someone much greater, Christ Jesus himself, could dwell in us and transform us. The next one, justified. Romans 3, 23 and 24. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. 
being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. So we find that being justified freely by his grace through the redemption, through something that already happened in Christ Jesus. Romans 5, 1 and 2. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Crucified, past tense. Justified, past tense. Raised or made alive, Ephesians 2, 5. Even when you were dead in trespasses, even when you were dead in trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. Verse 6, and raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. I'm just not going to elaborate. I have to keep going. I'll do that another day, another time. Blessed, Ephesians 1, 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with what? Every spiritual blessing. Where? In the heavenly places. Where? In Christ. So that's not for heaven because the Bible says we're in him. In him we live and move and have our being. So it's about what we have available now, not just later. Accepted. Ephesians 1, 6. I'm jumping in the middle of a sentence. To the praise of the glory of his grace by which he has what? Made us accepted in the beloved. And I'm going to have to say something about this one. That word accepted appears in only two places in the New Testament. Right here in Ephesians 1.6 and then in Luke 1.28. Luke 1.28, the angel comes to Mary and says, Rejoice, highly favored one. That's that same word, accepted. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. It's amazing. Ephesians 1, 6, it says we are blessed in the same category that Mary was blessed who bore miraculously the Son of God. Highly favored. Look at your neighbor and say, you are accepted. You're accepted. You're highly favored. We're God's favorite. I would like to see God's favorite acknowledge themselves by the raising of their hands today. What if we really believe that? Would our lives be just that much better? God's favorite person? God's favorite. He likes me better than he likes you until he comes to you and then he likes you better. Colossians 2.15, spoiled. This is the victory over Satan. Having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a spectacle of them, triumphing over them. Made free, Romans 8.2. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has done what? Made me free from the law 
of sin and death or what the law could not do. Adherence to rules and regulations cannot set you free. You can adhere to rules and regulations because you are free. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin. He condemned sin in the flesh. Translated, rescued, delivered, Colossians 1.13. Who has delivered us. Who has rescued us. Who has translated us from the power of darkness into the kingdom of the son of his love. Past tense. Guess where you are this morning. You're in the kingdom of God if you're a believer in Jesus. Well, I don't feel like it. Well, that's your challenge there then, isn't it? But it doesn't alter the truth. Listen, um, the truth is uh, a very um, stubborn thing. Believing it doesn't make it true. Denying it doesn't make it not true. It is what it is. The truth. You've been translated. You've been rescued. You've been delivered from the power of darkness. You've been put into the kingdom of the son of his love, his dear son. First Peter 2.24, healed, who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree that we having died to sins might live for righteousness by whose stripes you were healed. Now, we have trouble believing that one. We have even more believe in the next one. Perfected and sanctified. Past tense, Hebrews 10.10. By his will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Hebrews 10.14. He is perfected forever, those who are being sanctified. Who's confused yet? Well, it comes by revelation. Um, what time do we get out now? Noon? Is that right? Or Okay. The New Testament, salvation speaks of freedom from the ravage of sin and self-centeredness. That's why we're crucified with Christ. And the consequences of those things. And the effects of the gospel should so permeate society to the point that there are no enslaved people. And the vision or the image you get of this is the deliverance of the children of God out of, e uh, out of Egypt through signs and wonders and miracles. But the New Testament salvation is not something that works from the outside in. That's what the law tries to do and it doesn't work. But the gospel works from the inside out. And God won't impose himself on anyone with what he has provided for us in Christ. And so God demonstrated his deliverance this time, different from the um, Egyptian deliverance from Egypt, 
But this time he did it through his son, Christ Jesus, and he did it with signs and wonders and unusual usual miracles and suffering. You see, you've got to understand, all that I'm saying doesn't exclude suffering. Are you with me? But we can't magnify the suffering to the exclusion of everything that belongs to us. We can't say it's not part of the deal, but we can't say it should predominate everything we are. Christ himself and all that he's done for us should be the thing that really does that. So if you don't understand what I'm talking about, and I can appreciate that, if you don't see all these riches, I have a recommendation. Ask God about them. Ask him what belongs to us. Because he has promised to reveal this salvation to us. He has, Psalm 91, 16. And this goes all the way back in through the Old Testament. With long life, I'll satisfy him. Do what? Show him. Reveal to him my salvation. Because he has appointed this salvation for us. Christ died for us. He also died as us, which is a profoundly deeper idea. But he died for us. This is intended to benefit us. Isaiah 26.1, we have a strong city. God will appoint salvation for walls and for bulwarks. I had a phrase that, um, I wouldn't say hounded me, but kept coming to me over the last two months. And that phrase is this, the free gift of perfect righteousness. Say that with me. The free gift of perfect righteousness. And so I, I took some notes, and I, I, I have a few more minutes here. I wanted to read you some of these notes because I think um, it really helped me. I think it will help you too. I have not been, nor could be perfectly obedient, which is God's standard. So then, what did God do? Through the gospel, through the work of Jesus, God gave me a gift. What gift? He gave me the gift of perfect righteousness. What does that mean? That means nothing separates, at least separates God from me. We let things separate us from God, although we're not separated. There's nothing from his side of the relationship for those who believe the gospel. Perfect righteousness. What is it? It's the very righteousness of Jesus Christ himself. It's not one like it. It's it. Perfect righteousness is the very righteousness of Jesus Christ himself, typified by his complete obedience and death. Obedience even unto death on the cross, it says. Listen, his faithfulness and not mine saved me. Made me righteous when I had no way to become that way. Mentioned this before. Translated me out from under the devil's authority into the kingdom of God under God's own authority. I can come boldly under the throne of grace. 
because I have been given a perfect righteousness which gives me boldness to come to God. What does that mean, perfect righteousness? It means that I can stand before God without the least hint of condemnation. I can stand before God without an ounce of insecurity, without an ounce of fear that he will reject me or not hear me when I pray. I have perfect standing with God. It was given to me. I mean, you could think, or you're just bragging. You're just a bragger. No, I'm not. He gave it to me. What am I going to say? No, thank you. But that's what the gospel brings to us. Colossians says he has delivered us. I've read this before. I'm going to read it again. From the power, from the authority of darkness and has removed us from one place to another into his kingdom, kingdom of his son, in whom, listen, in whom we have, say we have, we have redemption. How? Through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. Galatians 2.16, we know full well that we don't receive God's perfect righteousness as a reward for keeping the law, keeping rules. But by the faith in Jesus, well, yes, but also the faith of Jesus. His faithfulness is implied in Galatians 2.16. His faithfulness, not ours, has saved us, and we have received God's perfect Righteousness. Romans 5.17, death once held us in its grip, and by the blunder of one man, Adam, death reigned as king over humanity. But now, how much more? Think about that. How much more? If death was bad, how much greater, how much more is the grip of the grace of God as we continue to reign as kings in life, enjoying our regal, our royal freedom through the gift of perfect righteousness in the one and only, one and only Jesus, the Messiah. Come boldly to the throne of grace. Come boldly. Bust ass in there, pardon my French. That's terrible. I apologize. I have broken my own rule of... I'm sorry. But that's, that's bold. You don't go in hat in hand. You don't go in apologizing. You don't go in hoping if you get better, something will happen. You walk in there like you own the place because you have been given the place. So now we come freely and boldly to where love is enthroned. (laughs) To receive, the Passion Translation says, mercy's kiss. And discover the grace we urgently need to strengthen us in our time of weakness. 
Don't believe another gospel, which is not a gospel. Justification. Having been justified. Let's say that together. Having been justified. Something has been done. Something happened that made us righteous. We no longer struggle to be that way. We have peace with God. We've been given the ability to live in a righteous way. Um, there's a phrase attributed to John Bunyan who wrote Pilgrim's Progress, which is the second most published book in the world, I guess in the English language, but maybe in the world, written in the 1600s. And he is said to have said this, run, John, run, the law commands, but give, gives neither feet nor hands. Another song the gospel sings, it bids us fly and gives us wings. So good. Everything that God is going to do, he's already done. I'm just going to mess with you. Ephesians 2.10, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. The works were finished from the foundation of the world. We see in Hebrews 4, 1 through 3, for we have, we who have believed do enter that rest. And then he quotes an Old Testament condemnation from the Lord because they missed his rest. So he said, I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest because you can't enter the rest of God through the law. Then he says this, for we who believe do enter that rest, although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. What works? All those things I've described to you. Why did God rest on the seventh day? He wasn't tired. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. Psalm 121, God's never slept. Why would he rest? On the seventh day, because there was nothing left for him to do. Oh, oh, Robin, why did Jesus say his father is still working in John 5, 7? It's because this is the work of God, that you believe on him whom he has sent. That's what God's at work doing. Now, I'm sure he does other things. Um, this is a revelatory idea, but it's an encouraging reality. Jesus was crucified before he was crucified. Revelation 13, 8, it talks about those whose names have not been written in the book of life of the lamb. What lamb? The lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Here is a staggering, staggering idea. God provided everything necessary for our perfect redemption before Adam or anyone else ever needed it. Second Peter 1, 3 through 4. Everything we could ever need for life and godliness has already been deposited in us by his divine power. For all this was lavished upon us 
was lavished upon us through the rich experience of knowing him who has called us by name and invited us to come to him through a glorious manifestation of his goodness. As a result, he has given you magnificent promises that are beyond all price so that through the power of these tremendous promises, we can experience a partnership with the divine nature by which you have escaped the corrupt desires that are in the world. That's a mouthful. Second Peter 1, 3 and 4. That's it. Our victory comes through the work of God's hands all the way back in Psalm 92. For Lord, you have made me glad through your work. I will triumph in the work of your hands. God has established peace for us, Isaiah 26, 12. Lord, you will establish peace for us, for you have also done all our works in us. But we have a problem, ladies and gentlemen. These things don't happen automatically. How many of you are aware of that? As I repeat these exceeding great and precious promises, many of us have need of some of the very things I've declared God has given to us. Well, I'm not going to get into all of this, but let me tell you, when Joshua entered the promised land, and that's what I'm talking about today, the promised land of the gospel. Are you with me? The old covenant promised land was a picture of all these promises I've been talking about this morning. And Joshua is a type of someone who went into that promised land after Moses, who represented the law, was kept out. Are you seeing the picture? The law can't get you in there. Yeshua can. Joshua, same name as Jesus, basically. So the Lord says to Joshua, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan you and all this people to the land which I am giving to them, the children of Israel. And he says this, listen closely. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given you. What does that mean? You've got to walk out what I'm talking about in your experience. There could be a bit of a battle could be a trial of your faith. Okay, later, I compare this to making faith declarations. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I'm blessed and highly favored. Meanwhile, you're tanked and messed up. You know, I'm healed and you're sick. You know, all that. Here's what needs to happen. Further in that chapter of Joshua, Joshua is facing Jericho. And the Bible says it came to pass when Joshua was by Jericho that he lifted up his eyes and he saw a man who stood opposite him with a sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, are you for us or for our adversaries? Do you know what that man said? No. No. So Joshua says, 
to this one who turns out to be the Lord Jesus in essence? Are you for us? Are you for our adversaries? He said, no. No. I'm the captain. Commander of the army of the Lord, I've now come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshiped and said, what does my Lord say to my servant? Then the Lord said to Joshua, take your, listen closely, sandal off your foot. Did he say sandals and feet? No. But he said earlier, wherever the sole of your foot treads, did he said soles of your feet? No. Because you've got to have the foot of faith, but you've got to have the foot of humility as well. You can't just quote a bunch of verses and think your life's going to change. Because he's come as the captain. He's come as the Lord. You know, if you're lost in a wilderness place, the best thing you can do is stay put. The worst thing you can do is start walking. And you know what happens when you start walking? You walk in a circle. Because almost everyone has one leg shorter than the other. And if you want to walk with God in victory, you have, you can't have one shoe on one shoe off. Are you listening to me? You need faith. You need the word. You need proclamation. But you need the kind of humility that many of our difficulties and problems is geared toward helping us obtain. Who's with me? Come on. Now, Moses at the burning bush, do you know what the Lord told Moses? He said, take sandals off your feet. Moses had been through 80 years of testing. He didn't need any more humility. <laughs> but he needed a whole lot more faith to go into Egypt and give Pharaoh the word of the Lord, set my people free. So... I'm going to stop right there. But I'm so grateful. How many of you are just grateful for Jesus in his fullness? Yeah, Vivian, why don't you come up here and help us conclude this today? Here's the last thought. Hang on a second. In Exodus, God dealt with both aspects of Moses' life at the same time, faith and humility. Do you know what God wants us to do? God wants us to walk in his shoes. The gospel shows us that since Jesus was willing to walk in our shoes, paid the price for us, he's calling us to walk into his shoes by faith and experience in all he's provided for us. You've been listening to the Queen City Church Sermon of the Week. For more information on this message and other resources, visit queencity.church.